0: This is an eight-iron, and it's a dead shank.
1: Wow! Way right. Oh, it takes that shot off the path. Positive. You got to be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You got to hit it into the hill, one hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of
0: like that. Well, I would like to welcome the newest member of the Champions Tour uh, for the 2024 season, uh, Steve Allen. Congratulations on getting through, which I consider the hardest Q school in the world, and uh, fully exempt for next year. Well done, sir.
1: Thank you. It's uh, nice to be here, and it definitely was nice to get through that Q school.
0: Let's talk about that week. Um Obviously lots of pressure. You know, what's, what's the mindset? Do you, you know, cause I, on the Champions Tour, as you well know, you know, you gotta go low pretty quick. Did you have that mindset? Is it patience? You know, if you look at the guys you're playing against, the, re- the resumes look like a tour event. Like it is so hard to get those limited numbers of, of spots. So, you know, how did you approach it, in, you know, that week? I mean, the importance of it too?
1: Um, I, I never, actually go out with the mentality to go low because I find that I I struggle like that often brings in early mistakes and then you're kind of done. So I really like to let myself get into the round or the week, even in Monday qualifiers, because I feel like, you know, you just want to play well enough to give yourself a chance. And, you know, it's a bit cliche, deal one shot at a time. Or, or for me, I tend to be more like one hole at a time, but I think I have to be like that. So there's definitely a level, extra level of intensity to key School. Um, I've been looking forward to this one for quite a few years since I, you know, as soon as I lost status on the Corn Ferry Tour and, you know, you were doing a couple of years of Mondays and nothing was really happening, and definitely since COVID, because I was playing really well coming up to COVID. Um, I got sick at Q School. The next Q School got cancelled. So in regard to actually playing tournaments, it was a tough time, you know. Um, So, yeah, I've been looking forward to it for a long time. There's a little bit of intensity there. You're building up. As the weeks go on, you know, I tried to play as much golf as I could in uh, the second half of the year, played a few mini tour events, played some Monday qualifiers. I went down to Australia to play some of their Legends Tour stuff once I turned 50 in October. And, uh, and yet despite that, you've got to let it all go and just play golf. Um, I didn't get through the first stage very convincingly. I got through, but I had a bad last round, which put me right on the number with a few holes to go. I was able to sort of refocus and pull through, which was great. Um, but there was no time to do anything because my my first stage was um, the week before, so there was no time to really practice or really do anything massive. You just had to regroup and get on with it right here at uh, at finals. So I came into the week. I was playing well without being without really saying I was really playing great. I wasn't really flushing it. Um, you know, I had I'd, um one of my coaches, Steve Dalby, here that helped me in the lead up. Um, I had a pretty experienced tour caddy who's caddy for me a couple of times over the years with good results at different times. And he came into town to do it, to caddy for me. And things just kind of fell into place. I think uh I played well in the first round again without being amazing. Had three under, which was, you know, middle of the pack, but it was a good solid round. And then the second day... uh I think if you talk about having a little bit of piece of luck, the second day at the end of the round was my piece of luck that got me right onto the right track. And I, I hit a couple of bad shots in a 17. I was in the desert, but I had a clear shot to the pin. I hit a great pitch and made a birdie. And then on 18, I hit it uh, right off the tee. But again, I ended up in a good spot. Hit it into the middle of the green and hold a good putt for another birdie. So I turned a three over with a couple of sketchy shots into sorry a three under with a couple of sketchy shots into a five under. And now I'm really, you know, eight under through two rounds, you're right in the picture. Um, yeah.
0: And and is that when the experience then of all those years playing all over the world kicks in and you're sort of like, it's not overwhelming. You know what you're doing. You've been here before. You've yeah. won on some big stages. Then it's that, that you have to draw from that, I would assume, versus, you know, maybe somebody with not as much experience as you have trying to get through that gauntlet.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I think that I would even say looking at the other guys that played, Everyone out there has got lots of experience. I mean, we're all 50. So I think that, uh, yes, I think as you get older, you just get a little bit more calm. You don't worry about things. You realize there's another, there's another hole, there's another tournament. Um, granted, this one's the big one. But, yeah, I think I, I'm definitely more calm and don't let mistakes get to me anywhere near as much as I did when I was younger. And I definitely think that helped throughout this week.
0: Yeah, it, it, it makes a difference, doesn't it? Where I mean just even as an amateur golfer, mentally I wish at I'm fifty. I wish I had my mental approach at twenty eight than I do
1: now. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> just... I hundred percent agree. I hundred percent agree. I've always been someone who tended to get ahead of themselves, thinking about the score, thinking about, you know, a birdie chance coming up and, and all those things. And sometimes in golf it's a subtle shift away from being really, you know, really into the shot that you're hitting or the hole you're playing. And you don't feel like it's that big of a deal, but it just leads to you know leads to bad outcomes, and that's happened to me at different times over my career.
0: So gearing up for next year, you got a one-year exemption, so it's still you know it's there's there's and what, where is it now? The rules in the Champions Tour keep changing. Is it top thirty-five or forty? Where do you have to finish to be fully exempt is, for that season after?
1: It's thirty-six. So if you get thirty-six, the 36 that play at the. The final event, uh, final event, the Charles Schwab Cup at uh, Phoenix Country Club, and then I think if you're inside the top 54, you have a conditional card that uh, varies year to year depending on how many exempt players and who's who's playing the past champions, all that all that sort of thing.
0: Yes, there's all kinds of right. That rules changing all the time of who's exempt from what, from career money wins, all the rest of it. It's uh... I even know some guys in the Champions Tour, and they're slightly confused of you <laughs> yes. know, who's exempt at fully at this point in time. I mean, it's got to be exciting, too. Are you going to be playing in most of the events? Like, is it going to be pretty much full-time season, or take it in segments, see how the body's feeling, see how the mind's feeling, and, you know, kind of going from there? What's the what's the thought?
1: Looking at the schedule, there's a lot of weeks off, so they don't play... I'm actually not sure if I play four in a row. There might be one stretch of four in a row, and... Over my career, I was not good at playing too many weeks in a row. You know, it's like when I'm really into it mentally, you use up so much of that mental energy that when it got to five weeks, I would I was kind of drained and didn't tend to put in my best performances. So I think the schedule suits me. I think with the weeks off, I, at this point, I'm planning on playing everything.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, hopefully you get some momentum early. And, uh, you know, a lot of the guys have done quite well, like you've done it where, I noticed too, like even some of the players who may have had more starts on the PGA Tour, but shut it down for you know from 42 to 50. Didn't hear much from them during TV or whatever. When they turn 50 and get back out there, like take you know Chris DeMarco, great player on the PGA Tour, looks like it's taken him a little bit to get used to tournament golf. And yep. I think you've done it the right way that you stayed competitive, you know, trying to play Mondays, playing against the younger guys, playing in mini tour stuff. Stacking yourself up against 28 year olds and seeing how you're holding it because, you know, I like, you know, talked about this on my podcast a couple, you know, probably at nauseum, but I'll still say it. Like, people don't, the average golf fan does not realize how good the golf still is on the Champions Tour. Like, go, yes. go, go play that from 7,000 yards and shoot 15 or 16 under and come back and let me know how that goes for you <laughs> as, a, as a zero handicap, right? Like, yep, for sure. It is, it is still top level golf and to stay competitive. I think it's hard to put it down for eight years and go out there and be competitive. And you haven't done that, which usually bodes very well, right? Like a, like a Stephen Alker who did it that way, right? He kept playing, he kept doing it. And then boom, second career and he's killing it, but he never, he never set it
1: down. Yep. I think it's so important. I think, uh, keeping that competitive edge. I mean, it's, you know, to your point about how good the champions still golfers are. I think I've, I've sort of learned over the years. You're, you know, as a kid, you were pretty good at all sports, and you sort of feel like I could have done this if I'd taken a different path, or I could have played this. And you get up close to the elite sportsmen of any level, and they're way better than you ever think from watching on TV. Like the, the athleticism and the, you know, different sports, the strength, the power, the coordination, whatever it is. And I think golf's the same. You know, when you when you really play with guys that are genuinely world class and even fifty plus world class they 're still really good, so yeah, I think uh, I think you know a lot of people told me that about not not stopping, so even though i'd lost my status and uh, you know i've been doing some lessons here in Arizona for the last three years that That idea was always in the back of my head to keep playing um,
0: and you know, I
1: enjoy the tournaments you know there's a lot of, a lot of tournaments, little tournaments that I never would have played in the past and you know, they might not be where you want to be in regard to your career, but when you get there, you have a good time, you know, some cool courses and fun places. And so. It's been, and it keeps uh, you
0: sharp and you know yeah, what you need sure. to work on, right? It's not just sort of, well, I could do it 10 years ago. Like you're seeing real results in the present of how you're doing against, you know, players half your age. Yep, and, absolutely. And, and Yeah, that's I, I, I so admire the way you went about and I truly really think it's the best way to get on the Champions Tour and be competitive. Because you haven't lost that, let's call it edge, or doing it, yeah. you haven't put
1: and, it you down. Know, it's golf is certainly different when you have a hit with your friends, even if you, you know, even if you're playing for some bets and a little bit of money. When when, it, when it's a real tournament and you you know you're out there, it's a whole field, and you have to play. There's nowhere to hide. You have to play well, and you, you know if you're getting away with you know bad ball striking, and scrambling well, but with this goal in the back of your mind, that was always that was always at you know you're always aware of that and you're always working on your game so um, i don't think my game over the last couple of years has been the sharpest but you know i always had this goal you know it's been like i said it's been a few good few years i was always aware that there was a chance it would be here in arizona so play every time i was playing that course it was hard to not think about it uh, coming up in 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 the future
0: well you picked at the right time i was going to ask you too about being you know i know you were teaching i was talking to Ryan French over at Monday Q and he said, ask him, you know, he's been teaching and given lessons. And I always think it's an interesting question to ask a touring pro. What have you learned from teaching other players of different levels and abilities and, you know, and how is that maybe, have you grasped anything from that or learned yes. anything from it?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, throughout my career, you know, I had one main golf coach from Australia, Dale Lynch, and more recently Steve Dalby here in Phoenix and done a little bit of work with, um, Neil Smith, like mental coach, but it flows into my game too because he's seen me a lot. I didn't really, you know, I would ask questions, but I never really wanted to understand it. It wasn't my goal. My goal was just to play well. So they, if, if they would give me an explanation that made sense, that would be good enough. Whereas over the last three years, I, I have learned a lot more about the golf swing, what works and what what can affect other things. Um, and it's been, it's been good. I've, I've actually really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it a lot more than let's say I thought I was going to, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that I think one of the coaches told me previous to starting is that, you know, when you're giving lessons, people, most of the time they're there to learn, they want to get better. And that's why they're there. So they're actually happy to be out playing and and working on it. And, you know, when, when you can actually help someone and, You know, there's different levels of help. Sometimes it helps straight away. Sometimes you're like, look, this is going to take a while. But when you can see um, someone getting better and actually improving, it's, it's quite rewarding.
0: Was it interesting of how, was it ever hard with the talent that you have and the level that you played at to kind of look at somebody and go, okay, they're not going to be able to make this move exactly perfect. But I know enough about the golf swing. That we're going to get this person to play some pretty good golf they're yeah. limited on physicality right was there ever a compromise in there that you kind of had to like take yourself out of it and go okay we got x amount of talent here and we're going to try to get the most out of it
1: yeah a little bit but i think more often than not i can relax because my i would never sway say i got my swing to the point that i loved everything about it i've always had my Bad habits, I know how hard they are to get rid of because I've basically still got the same bad habits that I had when I was 25. So um, when someone comes and they're like, oh, this is just, it's not getting better, you can say, well, you know, I understand why. It's like you've been doing something for a long time. You can't just, you know, instantly make that move. It has to take a bit of work. And you can really see results of the people that stick with it and put in the work. I think some of the students that I had um, that improved the most, it was... Like, I can only take a little bit of the credit. The credit was for them putting the work in and trying to understand. Yeah. And a couple of them that really did well, I really noticed when they went away for the summer. And I went, you know, I went, I go away for the summer a little bit in Arizona, too, because it's uh, ridiculously hot here in the summer. So we get out of town, I'm away for a few months, and I come back and you see the big improvement. It's like they've really, they've really put in the effort and you can really see that uh, things have changed.
0: How much of it too is is it on the mental side that you're teaching your students on top of the you know, the, the the golf swing, how much of it is just approach that, you know, you can pass on to them as well from all your experience?
1: Yeah, a little bit. I mean I think you you know, people whenever you're working on your swing you have to have that ability to to let it go when you play. Um, that changes from person to person. I mean, some people that can be really technical and still play good golf and some people one thought is too many. So I think you have to try and You know, explain that to them and let them do a little bit of uh, experimenting on their own and just to see what what works and what doesn't. You know, obviously, when I was growing up, you had someone like Nick Felder who made the big change in his swing and was ridiculously technical and it looked like he was always working on it, but he was, you know, basically the best player in the world for, you know, 10 years. So, uh, yeah, you just have to try and work with the person and hope that they can, they can, um, you know they can work on it, and I guess I guess one of the big things in golf is being honest with yourself. You can go out there and try something. If it's not working, you've got to work out if it's uh, you know if it's if it's too much information or the feel's just not there on that given day. Um, you know, all, all those sort of things sort of come into play.
0: It's it's interesting how how you do take someone as technical as a Faldo, and then there's some guys probably like a Fred Couples that just needs a yeah. feel, right? Yeah, like absolutely. just yep. we you know. I don't want to see it. Just tell me where it needs to be, and I'll make it happen. Anywhere in between,
1: right? There's no one way to do it. Yeah, that's exactly right. When I a when I, uh, good good example when I first started, uh, you know, my first four years were on the European tour, and Colin Montgomery was the best, the dominant player then. And he, you know, he didn't you didn't see him on the range much. He just went with his swing, which was you no, know, it's not necessarily textbook, but he hits the ball, hit the ball as good as anyone. And I was on the putting green one day with uh, basically an alignment aid. It was this big board, and he came over and he's like, what's this then? I'm like, well, it just helps helps to make sure I'm lined up and my caddy can put it against my club face and see where I'm pointing. He goes, oh, let me have a go. So it was probably like a, it was like an eight-foot putt maybe and pretty much a straight eight-foot putt. And I put it on him and he was aiming outside to the left of the hole. But if you, I don't know how well you know his old putting stroke, but he had that sort of lift up and, you know, a bit of a push kind of looking stroke. And he just went, oh, I don't want to see that. He just walked away. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> well, he only
0: dominated for like ten years. Every year, out right. There, right? Seven,
1: seven straight. auto American yeah. ones. So yeah, he he knew that he's like, okay, this is not the time or the place to work on this. I'm doing just fine, and you know. So,
0: well, well there was something. Take like Monty's golf swing. Even though, like, I love Monty's golf swing, right? Because it just produced yep. that little baby fade every time. Yep. Uh, very square, Not you know, like not a lot of hands. He. I mean, it just. I thought it was brilliant, right? But that's a kind of golf swing. I don't. I mean, once you kind of got it and he's doing what he's doing and the results are there, I don't yep. know if him beating balls for two hours helps his cause. Go hit some yes, wedges. Absolutely. I, yes.
1: I, I, he, I, he just work on his, like he's just got his swing that he, he as you said, he, he was brilliant um, and working on it might cause problems, <laughs> it might cause more problems than actually solutions.
0: Yeah, yeah, all right. I mean, look, exactly, right? You're not going to teach somebody exactly how to swing that way, but... You know, yep. it worked for him. I, I like yeah. his golf swing. I, you know, great body rotation. It's going, not going left. You know, yep. turn hold and hit this little yep. fade. Um, I was going to ask you growing up too in, in Australia, man, you, you you had some world beaters in your generation. And I'm guessing, I don't know this, but I'm guessing you played against them, with them. I'm talking like, you know, Allenby, Ogilvy, Pampling, Ogil, Lonard, Appleby. I mean, I'm probably missing 10, 12 guys. Yep man was that a generation of australian players huh i mean i'm yeah, not, I'm not even touching the yeah. list
1: yeah when i first started when I first got to the pga tour i think we had 22 or 23 australians on the tour which made it made it great for all of us to get get in here and feel comfortable and but um yeah growing up like robert was robert allenby was just that little bit older than me and better than me so he sort of turned pro quite young before i reached the sort of pinnacle of then so he was the guy that you'd look up to like i'd I'd just start to get into big amateur events and he was like basically winning them and nearly, nearly turning pro. Stuart um, was a little, a couple of years later, I think, and he was around the Victoria Institute of Sport, which I was in. That was uh, like the program that I got in sort of out of high school. And, you know, over the years, like I was in there a couple of years before Jeff finished and got in there. Um, so I played a lot with Jeff. We traveled together um, as amateurs in my last year before I turned pro. We sort of traveled through Britain, a couple of tournaments on the continent of Europe. Um, and we played, we came over to the US and played like the West and the Porter Cup. Um, and he was, Jeff became a good friend. He was so competitive. He was as competitive a person as I've ever met. Hated losing at anything. And you could see that in his golf game. Um, but yeah, we had a lot of good players. Like the Victorini's just Sport also produced uh, Aaron Baddeley. Um, Richard Green now, who's on the Champions Tour, he sort of played Europe most of his career. Um, yeah, and then not to mention the guys from the other states. Yeah, so we did. We've had a we've had a good run at that time. At that time.
0: How good was Alan B in his heyday, ball striking wise?
1: He was great, and he had a competitiveness and an ability to birdie the last hole like you know very few people I've ever seen. I mean, he he birdied 18 so many times when he just first turned pro. That it was it was almost predictable that he would come through and birdie the 18th. And at one point, his playoff career record was something like nine and zero throughout Europe, Australia, and I think I think he won a couple of playoffs in the US when he first started. Yeah, he was just tough. Yeah, yeah. so he had that competitiveness that uh, really drilled down when he was under pressure. Um, you know, as an amateur, he nearly won the Australian Open. He uh, birdied the last two holes. like he hit a five iron to like two feet. And it looked like he'd won the won the tournament. And then uh, Wayne Riley, another Aussie who played the European Tour, mainly buried the last three and hold the bomb in the last to beat him. Um, I remember Robert winning a state open, the Victorian Open, which was a sort of small pro event when he was an amateur. And two days later, he turned up to what was uh, an open amateur event, 36 holes on one day at a local club. And everyone's like, well, he's not going to care. He just won the Vic Open. He doesn't care about this. And I think his morning round was, you know, just... Decent without great. And then the afternoon, he shot like 65, I think, on a par 73, if i got my facts right. And I felt like it was a bit like Caddyshack. Everyone was starting to whisper, like, Rob's, Rob's six under after nine. And all these people, and all of a sudden, he's finishing in a big crowd, and he, and he won the tournament. So he definitely had that competitive uh, competitive uh streak and an ability to get better under pressure, which, you know, not many people have. No, even, even a lot of the best players in the world don't have that a, a they mess up just as often as they play well, but they play well because they're really good. Whereas, obviously, Tiger's Tiger's the one guy that over the years had that ability never to mess up.
0: Yeah, he was you know, talking about good golf swings that are repeatable, right, that were simple. Boy, in his heyday, his golf swing. I loved Allenby's golf swing. Yeah. Just sort of yeah. turn, turn, hit it hard, big, yep. you know big high draw it was he was really 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 good yeah Yeah, yeah, you're the guys you competed against like you said you look at that generation you're like holy shit (laughs) there was a lot of good players you know out of that era of it um i was going to ask you too i mean you won the australian open i love as a golf fan i wish the stretch would stay in the prominence i think that stretch should be in i would love somehow if they could make it part of whatever it might be, some world tour that's probably going this way, of keeping, you know, the PGA, the Masters, the Open, and you could have such a cool three-week run down there. Yep, I used to be, as a golf fan, like, loved watching all the international players, you know, when it was on at night over here. Yep. And I don't know, there's a romance to me about, like, going over there and playing in the Masters and playing in the Open and playing in the PGA, right? Like, I, I, I hope they can bring those events back to the prominence, you know, and they need to... To yeah be at, and you know and uh, you know you're you're an open champion i mean that had to be what a moment right
1: that was that was you know that was the highlight of my career so far i i remember the golf course they were they played on that year was victoria it was jeff Ogilvy's home course and i remember when it got announced that it was going to be there there'd been no you know australian open there we'd had a lot of tournaments there over the years and i remember being excited i remember really being like i love that course we played a lot of amateur golf there we played quite a few proton tournaments there. That Vic Open that we talked about, the Australian PGA was there, and and I remember really wanting, really wanting to play well and wanting to go down there. And unfortunately for me, I was I had a really bad start to my PGA tour year that year, 2002, and I think through the middle of the year I would almost may I don't know the exact numbers, but not many cuts, not much money, and the Australian Open clashed with second stage, so I had to play well the second half of the year, and I. I really did that year. I didn't you know, I didn't put my name like right in contention, but from about the US open time onwards I'm, i I nearly made every cut. I played well and good golf over and over and over and over and I just couldn't get it up into that top ten. It was a lot of you know, cuts made, twentieth, twenty fifth, thirtieth, which, you know, it might not be grabbing the attention, but to do it every week in, week out you're playing really good golf and I snuck through the very last tournament. Was at uh, Jackson, Mississippi. I think it was Luke Donald's first win, and I had a really good second round to make the cut, which got me into the top 150. So I didn't keep my full card, but it was a conditional. But yeah. it did mean that I Huge. could not—I didn't have to play second stage, and I could play the Australian Open. And um, the good form carried in, uh, in into that tournament. Uh, the tournament was famous because the first round actually got cancelled because they had the greens too fast and firm, and the ball wouldn't stop on at least one green, but I think there was quite a few out there. So it ended up being a three-round event. Um, but it was an unusual three-round event and that we knew it was three rounds when we stood on the first tee, starting, uh, you know, on Friday. And, yeah, and I played I played well. I was rolling the ball well. I started the last day tied with uh, Rich Beam, who was the, the, you know, the USPGA champion that year. We had a good field of Aussies, and the first hole was playing as a par three, even though know, it's a, it's a short par four, but I wanted to toughen it up. So they moved the tee up a little bit. And right from the first hole, I hit a good shot to a few feet and made a birdie and Rich made a bogey. And I was a couple ahead. And in the middle of the round, I, um, got a little bit ahead of myself. Like I told you earlier, thought that this is, I'm playing really good and no one's doing anything. And, I'm, and then I, I messed up. I missed a little birdie putt on eight. I bogeyed to par five, nine. And all of a sudden I was back to the field. Um, at that time, on that, on that day, I was really able to refocus and brought myself back and made a couple of birdies and looked up and all of a sudden I was three ahead, which I kind of had a hard time believing because when I was tired there was quite a few people. Allenby was one, a friend of mine, Adam Crawford, and Ozzy was one. Rich Beam wasn't too far behind. And I made another mistake. I three putted. But again, thankfully, I was able to roll in a good putt on the next hole on top of Rich Beam to keep me two ahead and I was able to get it into the house, which was which was great. It was, you know, I live right around the corner. My friends and family were there. It was my home, you know, it wasn't my home course, but it was, you know, my hometown, and it was, it was fantastic.
0: When does it hit you of what you've accomplished? Is it that night? Is it the next day? It's when the hoopla's over that you're holding the Open trophy, like you've done it.
1: Yeah, it took a while. I had to come back for two school finals, and I feel like, I don't know. I feel like winning that actually didn't help me at key school finals because I was still I was still sort of buzzing. You know, the next week I had, a, I had a week in between, so it wasn't like I had to get on the plane straight away. But I remember coming back, and you know, it was it was really hard to get a feel for the game. Um, yeah, and I, I, you know, looking back at it, I, I, you know, I should have probably been a bit better at refocusing. But it was it was. You know, win your national title is something
0: pretty special. So yeah, it's like dream come true stuff, right? I mean, you won the Australian Open, like, and you're Australian, and it's a huge tournament, right? It's the Australian Open. Hell, you got to enjoy that for a week, don't you? I mean, you have to. (laughs) Winning so hard, right, pro? Like it's so hard. Like, how do you not, you know, wake up in the morning and look over and oh, that is mine. You know, that that little trophy, (laughs) I've I've earned it, right? Yep. Yeah, you got to enjoy it. No, it's uh. I hope those events can come back somehow. Yeah. I love yeah, that I mean, stretch. They, I don't know how to they, do it, but...
1: They had it down there this year with... Uh, it's joint sanction with Europe at the moment, and they had the uh, yep. girls and the guys playing on the same courses. And, yep. you know, I, I couldn't get down there this year because of Champions Q School, but by all accounts, it was a success. You know, they had a pretty good field. Had a couple of the live guys come and play it to add to the field, um, which Joaquin Neiman is the winner. Adam Scott made a run on the last day. We were watching... I was watching it here on the last day, and he... He looked really good and had a little mishap toward the end, and so Minwoo Lee, you know, he's obviously become a bit of a star really in Australia. Good. He, he, yeah. he won the PGA the week before, and he was right there, yep. had a chance. So, yeah, it was. It looked like it. Uh, it looked like it did well this year.
0: Yeah, I, I want. To, I would love to see it somehow like PGA Tour sanctioned. I don't know, whatever it is, I'd like to see it have that yeah. just world yeah. elevated event Cause it's I think it's good for golf that time yes. of the season. You know, yep. and then, like I said, for the states, it's perfect because it's on in prime time.
1: Yep, and we play we play such such good courses we have down there. The firmness is just that little bit different to how we play golf here in the U.S. You know, we tend to yep. have the rough isn't that thick, but the greens are firm enough that a little bit of fly are rough and you're out of position and you really have to be careful of what you're doing because you can, you know, you, you, you don't get any spin on that ball and that, the greens are firm enough for that lands on the green, it's gone. So it's, 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 it's a good way to play golf. You know, you, there's, a, there's, there's not an absolute premium on driving, but if you don't drive the ball well, you're in trouble. But it allows for recovery shots a lot of times, so you know I'm I'm very biased because I grew up in Melbourne, but that I, I think it's a it's a great way to have a golf tournament
0: and sort of old school golf a little bit, right? I mean, it, yeah, it kind absolutely. of brings me to this. Like, do you think the golf ball needs to be rolled back? I was going to bring that up, but there's an interesting point I'm saying. Well, between yeah. fast, firm greens, bad angles, yeah, you can you can take that away. It's not a bomb and gouge. It will not work on those courses. So. Is it more course setup, or do you really think the ball you know needs to be you know yeah, brought back? Apparently, for I, everybody at this I, point,
1: I'm I'm in favor of the ball rollback. Uh, um, I understand why people wouldn't be, but I, I feel like golf's just gotten a bit out of control in regards to how far the ball goes, how long the courses are, how long it takes, how expensive it is. I think a ball rollback ultimately will help all of those things. Now, um, in saying that, I think the the style of golf in Australia is just more of the course setup. They they it's a bit of it's a bit of a combination of our – it's not really our weather in Melbourne because we get plenty of rain, but the sand belt, the sandy soil, allows the greens to get firm enough that yeah. you can play like that. Now, I think I think here in the U.S., you know, especially in summertime, there's so many storms and so much rain that it makes it hard to set that courses up like that because one, one good downpour and all of a sudden you've got a soft course again with no rough and then that suits – you know, that really suits the long hitters. So – I seem to remember the USGA trying to set up congressional like that for for the US Open, and by all accounts I didn't I didn't make it into the field that year that it was great. it was firm, it was fast, and then they had a lot of rain before the tournament, and Rory Rory just took over yeah. at one by ten. So uh, I think it's a little bit of the, you know the environment and it's a little bit of the land that courses are on. The Lynx courses, for example, in Britain, they get plenty of rain, it's still going to run. So the angles are important there. Same in, same, uh, same in Melbourne, in you know Sydney, and Melbourne, in most of Australia. So it's it's a bit of everything, I think.
0: What's the best over in the sandbelt? If you had to rank your top three in, of of those iconic sandbelt golf courses, which which how would you rank them?
1: I think Royal Melbourne and Kingston Heath are clearly one and two, and I, in my opinion, Royal Melbourne is number one. Kingston Heath is clearly number two, and then then you get into a debate on number three. Uh, my home course. Uh, Woodlands in Melbourne is a great course. I don't know if I could put it at number three. I think Victoria probably is number three, but you have Metropolitan, which is a great course. Um, so they they'd be the they'd be the five that would be the best. You've got so many good courses in Melbourne Sandbelt though that are that are just you know, you, you get down there and you forget how good they are and when you play them you're like this course is really good. You know, Spring Valley, um, Commonwealth, Huntingdale. Huntingdale was the long-term host of the Australian Masters. Um, unfortunately, that tournament's not around anymore.
0: Yeah, but, no, yeah bring it back.
1: Royal, yeah, Royal Melbourne's the one that you know. It's always a it's always a treat to play. Um, they got thirty-six holes. Especially, you get down there in the summer and you can play late at night. You know, like it doesn't get dark. It's at eight thirty, whatever in summer. And you know that's 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 a it's a great time to be playing golf like that late summer evenings and. Out there, it's quiet. You know, the wind tends to die a little bit. It's nice and it's warm without being hot. The heat's gone out of the day. It's, it's, it's fantastic.
0: It's on my bucket list at some point to get over there and do it. And, they, and Like you said, you, you play some of the famous ones, but you can probably find just normal, not super expensive golf courses that still that land lends itself to just great architecture. And a lot of those courses, yep. when they were built in that golden era, those designers just... I don't know what was in the water back then, but it's still my favorite. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's it's that era of golf is still my favorite way to play golf. And the visualization and the way the bunkering is. And, you know, you you, you give me a, oh, uh, uh, you know, picking Mackenzie, whatever it is, picking those golf, you know, um, any of those architects in that golden era. And there's something special about those golf courses. It still, to me, hasn't been replicated today. Yeah. I don't know uh, how they did it or what they did, but, you know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think, I think we've got some architects now that are doing a really good job. You know, the, yes. Um, you know, Crenshaw and uh, Gill and but yeah, just I don't know, just yeah. something about the natural flow. Maybe it's because it was harder to move land back then, so they, they were a little bit more minimalistic. And but yeah, they they are some great courses back then.
0: Yeah, right. I, and I agree with it. I think they kind of had to take what the land would give them. Then the, yeah. I always think, like off the tee, it's like some of the best off the tee bunkering. Yep. You know, of playing games with your mind and with what's the wind doing in angles. You know, take a Chicago golf club or something like that. Like, that era of design is just brilliant. But, like yep. I said, there's no waterfalls. They're not moving a, a ton of <laughs> land, right? Like, yes.
1: And, and a, lot a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot more greens great. have a slope, but subtle. It doesn't have to be big mounds in every hole. Um, you know, a lot of – like, Melbourne has a lot of greens like that where, you know, Royal Melbourne's got some serious slopes, but they've also got a lot of greens where it's just a little bit of subtle, you know, Tilt back to front and um, side to side and things like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I got to get over there at some point. As much as I love golf, to to go and play them and do it. So it's on the list. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask you too about playing golf on the European Tour in the '90s. You had to win at the the German Open, which had to be obviously special, you know. And but what a great era, also of characters. You're talking about Mani and. Um, I don't know if Seve was still playing too much when you were there, but uh, I mean, he
1: was still he's still playing. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I mean yeah. you got Sam Torrance and Woozy and Olafable yeah. and all of these characters. You know, uh, the Barry yeah. Lanes of the world like love that area of, of golf. Like, what was it like to be in that traveling circus in the '90s of of the European Tour? It had to be fun, exciting, great golf. Had to be yeah. a hell of a ride.
1: No, it was fantastic. It, um, one of the things, obviously, you know, it's been 20 years, so I don't know how European tours changed. But back then, uh, most people stayed in, the tournament had two or three host hotels and most people stayed in those hotels and the tour, tournament put buses on to get to the course. There was there was very few courtesy cars. So everyone would be on the bus. So within 12 months of the European tour, you felt like you knew everyone because at some point you're sitting in the lunchroom, you're sitting in the bus with people. <coughs> Excuse me. It was a very easy tour to get along with people. Obviously, we had a bunch of Aussies on that tour. Then Wayne Riley, that I talked about earlier, and Peter O'Malley—they really took the Aussies under their under our wing. You know, I started the same year as Matthew Goggin, and uh, John Wade was my roommate. Um, and back then, because everyone was in the same hotel, like literally, you would go down to the bar at seven o'clock or whatever time, and everyone would just be standing around having a drink. know, yeah, Monty would wait, be wait, wait. there. He's-
0: you're supposed to be working out in the gym at 7 at night there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. um, there wasn't much of that on the European Not time. then, right? <laughs> but you just, and if you, if you didn't have anyone to go out for dinner with, you just walked downstairs to the bar and there was always someone around. And, you know, a lot of times it was the Aussies, but a lot of times it was, you know, a lot of times it was the Brits. And, and you would end up just going down the street, walking down the street and uh, going out for dinner. And I think that, the, 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 again, the geography of the cities was different. The courses would be on the outskirts of town but the hotels would be in the middle of town. And because of that, you could just walk out for dinner. So I think I think that's partially – that's one of the reasons why the European Tour over the years is Ryder Cup success because they just knew – everyone knew everyone. Yeah. And I don't think the guys here in the US PGA Tour, I don't think they're any better or any worse guys. It's just the same. But you don't know people. It takes a long time to get to know everyone because – you know everyone's traveling with their own family everyone's got a courtesy car there's times everyone's spread out staying at different hotels so that aspect of the european the social aspect of the european tour and then when you combine the fact that you get into so many different countries in a year was a great experience i mean like there's no doubt that the pga tour is the you know the pinnacle of golf but from an experience point of view back then at least the european tour was was an amazing experience and yeah, they had so many characters. Seve, Sevy was playing. He wasn't at his best. He had a couple of little runs where he had good tournaments, but to play with Seve was still something special. Because he, you know, as a kid growing up, Greg Norman was my idol, but Seve was the first non-Australian that I loved to watch. I remember watching that um, ninety, sorry, eighty-eight British Open at, at Leven when he, you know, him and Nick Price battled it out. And he hit the chip from yeah. off the edge of the green that, you know, just kissed the hole. It was like brilliant and. So to watch and to be around Seve was amazing. Him and him and Jose Maria Aznar would hit, hit uh, you know, be around the chipping green, and some of the it was it was it was great to watch. Like just cut up shots, and Jose could get that ball going straight up in the air. It didn't even look like he was set up to slice it open, but that club would slide underneath. It was it was brilliant.
0: Did you ever get to play with Seve in a row? I
1: did. I did. I played with Seve a oh, few cool. times. I played with Seve in Dubai when I had you know, one of my first really big events. I came second. On the Saturday, and twice we had chips from the same spot, and both times I got it inside him, which was like my highlight of the week. Obviously, winning would have been better. but um, And then a couple of years, maybe the very next year, I played with Seve in Dubai and Qatar, and he wasn't playing well and I was not playing well. And there was a hole where I hit what I thought was a good shot on a long par three, and it looked like it just disappeared over the back. And I was kind of pouting, walking off the tee, and Seve walked past me. He stopped, gave me a pat in the back, and he gave me the "Okay, you can get this up and down." And I just I walk up that fairway with my chest sticking out. <laughs> I've so, I've so. heard lots
0: of stories like that. Like he was, yeah. he would help other yep. golfers. He would give yep. out information. He would be encouraging. Yep. You know, they said he's like a really good dude.
1: Yeah, he was. I mean, you know, he was he was always good to be around when I was there. He was he was funny and. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's obviously a shame, you know, what happened to him. But he was yeah. such a, such an inspirational golfer, and I, I, you know, and I missed the best of him, obviously, because I was, you know, when he wins in '88, I'm 15, and when I'm eight or nine, I'm not really watching tournament golf, so I didn't really see those first, you know, those first Masters and British Open wins. I mean, that the Open at St Andrews, when he's pumping the fist all the way around the green, I mean, what a great highlight that is yeah. to watch
0: iconic moment right yeah just iconic who was was torrance fun to to have a beer with at a bar every now and then great storyteller
1: yep Yep. yeah yeah he was good torrance woozy you know obviously darren clark and lee westwood were sort of they were if it wasn't for monty they would have been dominating the tour but monty monty just kept them at arm's length all the time i was there
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah, there's some good ones
1: yeah bernard langer was playing so much so obviously i'll see him again next year but he was He was great to play with. Like he was, you can see the attitude that makes him so successful now because he just, you know, very, very German. He was very cool. You know, when things went wrong, he did not get flustered. He just moved on to the next shot. And I literally can remember playing with him in my rookie year in the German Open. And he hit two or three of the worst shots you'd ever see that people would, would actually lose confidence from. And he just shook it on and kept playing. I think he shot a couple under and stayed in contention and, and I remember being really impressed with it. I don't think I've ever quite been able to get to that level of uh, letting things go, but it was it was very impressive. You could really see why he has been a good golfer for a long time. It's been
0: great forever. I mean, even to yeah. come over, I mean, how many putting yips has he had and yeah. worked his way through it, right? <laughs> that guy's got to be yep. mentally as tough as anybody. And then yep. to still see how competitive he is on the Champions Tour in his 60s, yep.
1: which is Amazing. just an anomaly.
0: You guys are usually... Most guys, I'm you know. Let's hopefully yep. you have a nice 15 year career, but, but the body's sure. usually shot by then, right? <laughs> you can't put the work in, yep. and you got these young guys at your age coming in there, and they just yep. start to wane off, right? Like yep. it's just True. you can't do it. Yes, and he's still winning twice a year.
1: Yeah, you and know, uh, it's it's incredible, that, it really. Is. Story, the story in Europe that was legendary is you know that he, and I've got no knowledge of this facts, but they used to talk about it all the time that. The, the morning after he missed that putt in the Ryder Cup with Hale Irwin that cost Europe, you know, the, the Ryder Cup. He was on the course in Germany practicing the next day and ended up winning the tournament. And, again, I, I don't know that, but I've never followed that.
0: Yeah. yeah, I talked to Mark Kelkavecki about it. Yeah. And he, Kalk said he won the next week. And the other, you want to talk about, you know, greatness or, you know, take Calc too. You know, he had that basically nervous breakdown. He couldn't stop shaking or crying yeah. when he, yep. you know, had the big league. Yep. Played in Houston that next week and finished like fourth.
1: Did he? Oh, I didn't. I did not know that. That's great. Yeah, and
0: I asked Mark yep. like, how 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 do you do that? And he just said bunch of encouraging notes. Yep. Pick yourself up. You know you're a great player. You learn yep. from it. And yep. I And you finished fourth. And I, I, would, I would have drawn yeah. and gone <laughs> and seen my psychologist. And he top tended. Yep. That's
1: great. That's one of the things that uh, as I've gotten older, you. Absolutely, can realise that even the very best players can mess up. So when you do, you just can't be hard on yourself. You know, you just, if you can, if you can learn from it. If you can, if there's something in your control, like sometimes you're going to mess up that's out of your control. You just hit a bad shot. It happens. But there's times that you clearly can look back and say, yes, I wasn't focused in on my target. I was thinking about my swing too much. I was worried about what the score is. And they're the, they're the learning parts of golf. If you can do that, that's where earlier that I said you have to be honest with yourself. It's no good just putting it off and just. You know, if you can just brush it off and say, oh, whatever, whatever. But if you can be honest with yourself, you can learn from it and get better the next time. And, you know, that's the that's the trick to, to, to improvement over time. And golf's golf's one of those games that you, if you can just get, like, you don't have to be a college world beater when you're 21 to become a tour player when you're 32. You can be one of the best players in the world. But little incremental improvement and not giving up on yourself, not bidding up on yourself. Because even the very best players do that, you know, in tough situations because they're humans. So I, I think that's a great And there's great two perfect play.
0: examples of two great players, right? Kelk and Longer, and look yep. how they bounce back after yep. that.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: I always thought it's an amazing statistic that he did win the next week on the European Tour in Kelk, I believe, finished like third or fourth.
1: Yeah,
0: yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, there's a, it's a different gear mentally, right? Or yep. or they, I think Kelk said, well, I knew I was playing good. I'm on the Ryder yep. Cup team, like brushed myself off, had a bad night, got it yep. out of my system, let's go to work yep it's great yeah it's you know elite stuff well like we're we're gonna watch it next year like it's just such a great story and i know you like you know you've traveled I was talking to ryan you know your family support and in everything you have done to get to this yep. it's so I do, inspirational I do, to,
1: uh, I do have to make a point i think somewhere ryan put a little tweet out that said i downsized my house and my wife was a little bit annoyed with that because we didn't we didn't
0: us. <laughs> <laughs> we'll correct that one for the record. But what an opportunity in front of you. And it's inspiring in the sense that golf is a hard game, one of the cruelest, right? Like, and we all love it. And it shows, you know, with hard work and dedication, you can still do it, you know. and And it's inspiring to watch yeah. what you did of the work that takes, and you're still getting better at 50. And what a cool opportunity you have next year. Yeah, to have I that second be. part of your career, right, yep. and really establish yourself as a as a really good player out there, and it's you know, there's no reason you can't. I'll yep. put it to you. I know
1: way. that uh, you know. I know that all, over the years, there's lots of rumors about what's going to happen with the Champions Tour, but I think the fact that it is like it is is fantastic because you can get some of the truly great players still playing, but it does give everyone an opportunity to have a to extend their career because there's no way there's no way without the Champions Tour being in the in the distance in my head that I would have kept playing in my late 40s once I'd sort of lost status and, and uh, you know, was struggling to, to, to get out there. So, yeah, it is. It's 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 great.
0: And if, and I always encourage people to go out there and watch an event because you can get a little closer to the ropes. The players yep. are a little easier going. Um, you guys are doing a lot of pro-am stuff and corporate work for those clients that week, right? Like, everyone knows it's about the, the experience of the fans and the clients who are involved from a business standpoint. To me, the, you guys give a lot back to that week that you're there for that event. I mean, I think it's three pro-ams or whatever it is. And from talking to the guys out there, if they ask a favor, can you go have a beer with this guy at 6 on Tuesday, you're probably going to do it. Yep. Um, You know, that helps that tournament out that week or the charity money that gets raised. So I don't know. I love the product. I think it's cool to see the legends still out there playing at a high level. So good luck, you know, with everything next year. We'll be watching, and uh, it's a a great story, Pro. I, I couldn't be happier for you. Thank you. Look forward to it. Play well next year. Yep.
1: Yeah, cheers. Thanks.